0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, where I bring you the best and brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today, Eric Huberman, is the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, the fastest growing marketing consultancy in the US. And launched in 2014, they've been valued at over $75 million. That's right. Is that accurate? Yeah. Good for you, man. And it's grown, from over, <laughs> it's grown from seven to over 150 employees in three locations, now 21 states, if we're talking post-current COVID, but yeah. you know offices in LA, New York, and Boston. And the company has served over 2,000 brands of all sizes, ranging from startups like Tamara Mellon, CO Beauty, and Bottle Keeper, to household names like Red Bull, Verizon, Wireless, and Alibaba. I'm sure you've heard of a few of those. And as a serial entrepreneur and marketing expert, Eric is a sought-after thought leader in the world of digital marketing, entrepreneurship, sales, and business. And prior to Hawk, he founded and grew and sold Two successful e commerce companies. Awesome. And he's a recipient of numerous honors and awards. All the good stuff the Forbes 30 under 30, the CSQ 40 under 40, Inc. magazine, and all that fun stuff. Awesome. Good stuff of the year. And Biz North America's marketing executive of the year. Hope you get some cool like trophies and like plaques and stuff yeah. there.
1: We- I have one. <laughs> I, like, I, got this, but I got one right here.
0: Ah, everyone, loves, everyone, everyone loves a good trophy. So whoever's going to watch this on the YouTube replay, you'll see Eric's pretty cool man cave office there. And we'll talk about all that. We'll talk about entrepreneurship and we'll talk about what it's like to build, manage and run an agency in this age of COVID. And I'm really excited to dive into Eric's extensive career and his commitment to tenacity in any and every project that he puts his mind to. Eric, welcome to the podcast, my friend.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Awesome. Fantastic. So let's get started here. Some people may know you, some may not. So I'd love if you could give my audience a quick little intro and tell us who you are and what you do best, man.
1: Yep. I'm a Scorpio. Uh, you know, like to snowboard. No, I... I uh, Long walks yeah, on the beach. I, I, I runs. I like to run, walk. I get bored. <laughs> I need to move. I broke my leg, but it's healing. So I, I actually just ran for the second time in three months last night. So it's it's okay. getting there. Um, but... Uh, yeah, no. So backgrounds in e-commerce, I, I graduated in 2008. I've always had an entrepreneurial side to me. My dad's an entrepreneur. His dad was an entrepreneur. I just kind of grew up thinking that's what you did was start businesses. And so I uh, started random businesses throughout, you know, since I was six years old and uh, came out of college, went into real estate the entire, that was 2008. Economy collapsed. I made $350 that year. Super awesome. Uh, living in LA was a good budget. And so then ended up launching uh, an online music company, after built that for two years, hired a CEO to take it over, built and sold two consecutive e commerce fashion companies. And then about seven years ago, hated the marketing ecosystem, thought it was all bullshit. And there needed to be a company that actually created accessibility to great marketing that was easy to work with, but also really good at what they did. That's what we started. And here we are seven years later, about 160 people. Uh, awesome. Well, yeah.
0: I love your story. And you and I have connected a bunch in the past, similar similar models being an on-demand, which I absolutely love. So one, yeah. of, the, one of the core pillars of the show, the podcast, is to break down my guest's career. Because I think so many people listening love to get the insights and the learning. So I want to talk about, you know, from Fame Wizard to Swag of the Month and even mm-hmm. your own consulting business, you've successfully created and execute so many models. Can you walk us through how, you know, firsthand experience has enabled you to really be able to pivot, to grow quickly and really take that entrepreneurial mindset and shift from business to business?
1: Yeah, you know, I think it's just came up in a conversation like two days ago. So it's timely in that sense. Like, you know, I, w- I was actually a podcast. They they were asking me all about like, how'd you deal with this? How do you deal with that? And I think you start to learn that being an entrepreneur or a founder is just dealing with crap all the time. And it's always a fire. Um, actually our mutual friend, Gary V said something like five years ago, we, we were talking, he said like, yeah, I mean, being entrepreneur is eating shit and your ability to eat shit. Is, dep- de- uh, defines how successful you're going to be or something along those lines. And i was like, yeah. And don't get me wrong. It's not a woe is me thing. I love being an entrepreneur, but you are going to deal with the biggest problems. And so as you do it more and more, you develop a knack for handling problems, you know, solving them, you know, figuring it out. And that's emotionally and tactically, meaning like you also stop being so affected by the fact you have another issue in the business or another problem you have to deal with. So right. I think and, that's really what a lot of those help with.
0: And I hear a lot too. I mean, I'm three years into my entrepreneurial journey um, and I hear a lot of advice saying that you have to take the, the, anything personal out of it. You have to be business all the time, being an entrepreneur, you're a business owner. I'm a business owner. This is personal. How do you manage that? How do you keep, business and, and how do you keep the personal side of and not let it affect you? Oh, you it's it.
1: I actually don't agree that it's, you keep the personal out of it. I think you keep the emotion out of your decision-making. I think that's, that's where you that's get into trouble when you act, act on emotion for your decisions. But when it comes to, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I put a lot of my, I, 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 maybe I do, I put a lot of my self-worth in my ability to build a business. And that's just the, the fact what healthy or not, I really love that. Now, let's say if Hawk failed tomorrow, I wouldn't be suicidal. It's not that level of like self worth, right. but I, I truly gain a lot of pride in the things I'm able to accomplish professionally. Of course, and so when that's attacked, it's personal. So yeah, no, no uh, absolutely. And you know, my business partner has even alluded to the fact that like, he's got two young kids. He's like, when things don't go with the business, that's my kids' college tuition. That's like I feel it, man. It's real, and so. You know, there there is it is personal in a lot of ways. The same way getting fired is personal, as much as you want to say it's professional. Like it's, 100%. it's, it's the bullshit line is really what it is. Like it, we if we're in a, we live in a capitalist world. Money is personal, of course, and it's tied it's tied to everything that you do. I want to rewind a little bit. It's
0: interesting when you talk about your your family history, how entrepreneurship you know runs in the blood. Was there a moment early on in life, right? I mean, like really early on, maybe when you looked at your dad and you're like. I want to do what dad does. I I feel it. It's in my veins. It's something that I just want to do. Was that like the course? Was that the direction? Was that the only way forward?
1: No, it was quite the opposite. I wanted, I, I, there was a defining moment. I always liked the idea of like making money. And again, part of this was just, I took it for granted because the role models I had were business owners. So I was like, that's just what you do. But no, the real kick that I remember was, I was eight years old. I wanted an electric guitar because my name was Eric and the only other Eric I knew about was Eric Clapton. I was like, I need to buy an electric guitar. I'm gonna learn to play guitar. I'm gonna be a guitarist. And I went to my dad, I was like, I want an electric guitar. And my dad said to an eight year old, good, get a fucking job. (laughs) And I went, I I didn't go, I'm eight or like, you know, things like that. I was like, okay. So I started buying and selling Beanie Babies. And that was the pivot where I learned like trading and, you know, arbitrage and all those things that it was like, I was eight years old making, literally made thousands of dollars. And, you know, kind of on my own, like I would ride my bike. I lived in a small town called Ojai. I'd ride my bike to town because it was safe there. I would go buy them at the local mart. I'd buy the ones I thought were going to be worth something. Then I'd go sell them at trade shows with my friend's dad that would take us, like then eBay, et cetera. So it was, I was doing it on my own. And uh, yeah, my, that kicked off that desire. I still thought I wanted to be a guitarist till I was about 14 and realized I wasn't that good. Oh yeah. But uh, that's what (laughs) set off the business side.
0: No, I love it. And I see a guitar. I see a guitar in the background there. How much do you play There's
1: these days? There's actually four right there, one over there, and two in the closet.
0: <laughs> and and yeah. how much? And, and how much? How much time do you have to like escape and just jam out?
1: Not a lot. I mean, I I, I really believe this, and my wife called me out on it with working out too. Um, it's time you make, not time you have. It's if you prioritize it. But I mean, that's why I have them sitting right here. I have one sitting in my living room. I have them all over the house. That it's like. I got five minutes, and I can just pick one up. I do it all the time. No, is that, that way. just to be clear? Like, even though I have this, it's it's a hobby. I am not that good of a musician.
0: Is it? But is that is that your escape? Is that like the space that you need to kind of clear your head and focus? Like, if there's a if there's a problem, if there if you're in like a, a creative block, if you're if you're trying to figure something out, I mean, what do you do? Is it the, the guitar? Is it working out? What's your escape?
1: It's, it's exercise. Um Going for a runs, great. Working out. I have a gym right below me. At, nice like, at home. I. Snowboarding is huge, but that's not something like if I have a creative block, I can't go jump on a snowboard. But yeah, take the live. Yeah, I, Santa Monica tough. Yeah, but, tough, uh, tough one. Yeah, uh, I might look like an idiot if I'm jumping up and down the street on a snowboard, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but that is an escape. Snowboarding's huge for me. Like that is, I, I think I love doing that more than just about anything else. But day to day exercise for sure. That's awesome. So let's jump
0: into the hawk story. I love if you could share a little background. You know, where where the idea came from was it was it was it hatched over, you know, a drink? Was it something that you woke up in the middle of the night? Where did hawk come from?
1: Hatched, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> pun
0: intended, man. I, I try to I try to really prepare and write a good. Uh, you good you did well. um,
1: Yeah. So we it, it started. It came from a few different sources and um, something I don't think I have talked about publicly. But the last company I had, Ellie, I ran the whole marketing side of it. And I had, a, I think a 10 person marketing team and the business was about $6 million business. It was a big marketing team for the business that we had. I needed all those expertise, but I needed them part-time. So we actually even had brainstormed about the idea of hiring out our marketing team to other brands to help subsidize mm-hmm. the cost of having them because I wanted them all, but the co- I didn't need it. Like there was downtime across all of them. So that I think that seed was planted. That wasn't like a conscious, I've got to start this business. It was just like, I already had that in mind of a need. And then after we sold that, I was advising and consulting, and I just hated the marketing ecosystem. Hiring in-house, it's not cost-effective. That's if you can find good marketers. And then you're operating in a vacuum, which is detrimental too. On the agency side, 99% of agencies are full of shit. And the few that are good tend to go up market and get really expensive. I mean, again, Vayner being one of them, they they started really scrappy, but now they really don't want to take small businesses. And they launched a subsidiary and they're trying to do other things there. But most agencies find that servicing small and medium businesses is a pain in the ass and they don't want to do it anymore for us. you know, And so I just got sick of it, hired a little SWAT team to kind of like solve it for the clients I was advising for, and then just continue to scale it and really came to the conclusion that standing on principle that we're going to work with businesses of all sizes and creating a business model that supports that, became our ethos. And so our mission statement is accessibility to great marketing for everyone. And so we're constantly talking about the idea of both being great, like being the best marketers out there and being easy to work with and flexible and accessible.
0: The word that's coming to mind when I hear your story is the word disruptive, changing the norm, challenging the norm. What does that word disruptive mean to you, Eric?
1: Honestly, it for now, it feels a little cliche. It just comes up with every tech startup says they're disrupting. Right so I don't use it much but same thing as
0: unprecedented right everyone's throwing around unprecedented
1: unprecedented times new normal you know all that but yeah in terms of disruptive I mean I would say we are because every agency I don't come from the agency space every agency owner that i talk to everyone in my network is like you're dumb you're never this is never going to work like this is not this this business model won't work and now we're seven years in we're hyper profitable we're sustainable we didn't lay anyone off for COVID like we've done really really well um because and I think in spite of all the things that we're supposed to be unsustainable
0: how much does it motivate you when someone says you can't do something or or it's not going to work out or this is not a good idea how much does that drive you
1: you know I don't think it drives me because like I'm not like a actually I would say I I am a contrarian I will argue it I will debate it but it's not necessarily like well I'm going to prove you wrong when I do it drives me like once it happens I'm like haha fuck you but when they say Uh it I'm like all right, well, let me take the account. No, I don't agree. So I'm just going to keep going anyways. But I, I actually weigh it. Like if someone said, there are things people have told me not to do that. I go, no, you're right. That's a really stupid move. Like we launched a private equity arm to buy distressed brands and actually take them over, relaunch them. And I was, people were like, you need to run that full time. Like that's not going to be a side business. Like that's a bad idea. And the truth is, yeah, you're right. That's a stupid idea. Let's not go with that. Like, so there's p- times where people say you're don't do that. And I go, yeah, that's fair. But when I disagree, I, I would say it doesn't drive me until I'm pro- proven I'm wrong. Then I feel there's a little, it's more celebratory than it is a driver.
0: I, I'm with you, man. I mean, I love when people challenge me. I mean, we talked about my yeah. model as well too, but what, what? when was the last time you were you were proven wrong?
1: I mean, it happens all the time. I'm trying to figure <laughs> out what happened yesterday. Um, <laughs> I mean, it legitimately happens all the time. It's, you know, I I really like, we just launched our podcast this morning actually. And uh, I went to the team, th- thank you. And I had our, we did a listening party as a team and I thought everyone's going to love it. And then I got some very blunt, negative feedback from a few people, not everyone, but a few people had some very critical feedback about it. And it was like, again, that's kind of being proven wrong. Cause I was super excited. I'm like, shit. All right. Good to know going forward. So,
0: yeah, I mean, listen, the same thing, right? Like podcasting is one of those things too. It's one of those things where people think they could just jump in and be great at it, you know, yeah. automatically, And no matter how good you are, no matter how charismatic and personal you are, it takes like everything else. It takes the rep and the practice. You know, Absolutely. I think your, your show, you're going to be, I think it's episode 107 or 108 you're coming out with here, maybe 110 even, you know, but the, you know, before we had this conversation right now, I put in 110 episodes Yeah. and there's a, read, exactly. there's a flow, there's a cadence here and you got to get into it. So let's shift gears. Let's talk business for a little bit. Let's talk about raising money and scaling ventures. You know, everyone talks about time. We got to raise, we got to raise, we got to raise. Like, do you have any suggestions for, for those in the, in the first time raise rounds, some real tactical, actionable advice from your yeah. experience?
1: So first off, don't raise money unless you can build a business without it and raising to scale. Like that, That I hate businesses and there are exceptions. So I'm speaking in hyperbole, but like I, our business is bootstrapped. I can tell you like there have been down times where I wish I had support, but I will tell you also, I don't regret never raising money. I love it. Once it's stable, it's amazing. Not having to answer to anyone that's truly where entrepreneurship at it's best. So that that's first part but obviously we have a fund. So I'm not like anti fundraising in general to scale a business quickly and to grab market share and to do things like that. It makes sense. Um, and at some point you have a formula where, you know, if you spell it, spend a dollar, you should make five, 10, whatever that number is. So you need money to scale. If you need money to actually execute your idea, that's scary. That means you don't have the team that can execute it and you're usually going to fail. So if you have that, then fundraising is easy. If you've already got to market, you're making money, you've got a path and you've got something that people want and you've got traction, raising money is easy. If you can't get there without raising money, unless you're a, like high science or some sort of really complicated company, that's, I'd be worried about the business.
0: Yeah, that's some really sound advice there. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and let's shift to the nonprofit side, your philanthropic side, and you're coming up on yeah. five years as the chairman of BUILD. Um, what does
1: BUILD stand for? Oh, just yeah. I'm actually I'm not the acting chairman anymore. <laughs> I don't know if I'm well, so
0: so so yeah. we'll, we'll, let's fill everyone in on on what yeah. Build is. We have
1: a whole other charitable aspect now, but Build's great. Build uh, Feel free to talk about it.
0: Absolutely. absolutely.
1: Yeah, it's they they put uh classes into inner city high schools, entrepreneurship classes. So they actually make it a part of the curriculum to teach kids entrepreneurship in high school all over the country. So they're a great organization. Um we just dealt with some issues in LA, that I we didn't I didn't I stepped back, but yeah, work with them. We work with Orphan Starfish, which is celebrating, I think, year 13 or 14, they have their gala this month, um, which is they put computer labs in inner-city high schools. Or, sorry, Jesus, went that other way. They put computer labs in orphanages. Um, Interesting. Yeah, because they found that, especially in uh, other countries, Latin America, They I forgot what country it was. I think it was Chile, maybe. But wherever they started, they uh, they found that women out of orphanages had like a 95% rate of going into prostitution. And when they introduced computer webs, it just went to zero because they had skill, oh, well. computer skills. So it was like a very easy solve to give education. And that's our overall governing thesis around uh, charity and giving back is education. So now we run uh, Saturday digital marketing classes for inner city kids in LA um, and kids in, uh, yeah, basically Inglewood area and South Central that we're now building. We're going to scale that, but we just launched that ourselves in partnership with uh, the city council there. And then we also, uh, there's another one. Oh, Nifty, which brings entrepreneurs to speak in high schools and helps teach high, high school kids uh, entrepreneurship as well.
0: That's fantastic. And when when you're working with these with these young people, you know firsthand, you know what, what are those like kind of initial skills, those foundational pieces that you're trying to instill in them and bring out?
1: Drive, confidence. Honestly, like it's you know the the opportunity gap is real, but the opportunity is also real. Where you know I, I even said it in a little, you know, with a little bit of ego behind it was like, Hey, you guys are all on with me right now. You call me and need a job. I probably know someone that could hire you. So like leverage network, you have me like, uh, that's a start. Let's go figure out who else you can know. And like trying to teach them that those kind of skills to like really reach out, introducing them to my team, even hiring some of them, like just trying to build out that confidence and drive that they want to do it. And they believe they can.
0: And that's one of those things too. And you, you hit a magic word for me, which is relationships. I mean, for me, my success is built on that. That's the reason you and I are talking today. Cause I built, I'd foster, I continue to engage with you. We have conversations and now here we are today. And this is one of those yeah. things that I really try to instill early on. I'd love if you could talk a little bit about your perspective of the value of relationships.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it, it, again, another thing that I think becomes cliche, but I do believe it's all network and, and it's people think network and networking is going to, fucking cocktail hour and handing out your business card. Like, no, 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 no. It's truly building relationships, helping each other. I, like we call it, we say building community. That is actually one of our core values is to build community. And like that's that's what I believe. It's not about networking, like knowing people. It's about building a community of people that support each other. And that, you know, can be all different walks of life, all different types of communities that you're involved in. But I, I truly believe that being a part and supporting and contributing to communities will help you all day, especially through hard times.
0: You no, know, absolutely. And it comes down to sharing value. It's, yeah. it's value on both sides of the equation. Even That's Gary Vee talks about it too. Sometimes yeah. that value prop is shifted one way or another. And if you're the one who has more value, being humble and open enough to say, you know what, it's okay because I'm helping somebody. People have helped me in my career and I want to give back. And I believe, I truly believe in that relationship karma. I believe it's always going to come back, you know, one way or another. Yeah. Absolutely. There. So let's shift and we talk a little bit more about Hawk cause I love what you built here. And if you wouldn't mind sharing, you know, when, when, when you're either approaching a client or a client approaches you, are there some, some of those core attributes, those checkboxes that you look for and saying, you know what, this will be a good client of us. I know it's going to hopefully be a good relationship.
1: Yeah, it's really collaborative. Um, it's, it's someone that's coming to team up with us to, to win, to build their business because we, and that, and that happens a lot. Most people are this way, thankfully. They hire us because they want a teammate that's they're excited about their business. They want us to be excited and we want to grow it together and they need our expertise or bandwidth. We, that's the two things people hire us for bandwidth and expertise. So it, it is that simple. We, we always laugh about, there's three reasons actually that people hire us for it's bandwidth expertise or a punching bag. We don't like the punching bag people. We don't want <laughs> to be the, the blame of why your business isn't succeeding. And that happens. People, we see it all the time. Like someone will underfinance their company and everything will be great, everything will be great, and then they'll overspend on something or do something that has nothing to do with marketing. And then all of a sudden, everything we did was bullshit. And it's things like that where it's like, as an entrepreneur, you gotta take ownership over your business, It's everything's your fault, and I believe this in my own business, everything is my fault. Because if I didn't support someone, train someone, hire the right person, et cetera, it's my fault. And so Absolutely. the people that don't take that ownership, the victims that are entrepreneurs, don't j- j- mesh with me very well and generally turn into kind of a nightmare client. The people that own it and go, what can I do to support? How can we work together? I need you to do this and are communicative. Those are amazing. And, those, and that's, those and those
0: that's, that's awesome. accountability, right? And that comes down right. to entrepreneurship, business owners, and, and you yeah. can step up into that. That's a great question to ask Gary about because Gary's, Gary's been talking a lot about accountability and something that I speak to. So let's talk about you know, your internal team. Yeah. Building it, and we're going to get into culture and all that stuff too. But tell us a little bit how, how you interview and how you kind of assess two things. And anybody who's interviewing at Hawk, this is your cheat sheet here. This is your opportunity to kind of jump in and get some tips. You know, how do you assess the skill set? And then also, you know, the as we like to call them in, in the business, you know, those soft skills. Like, are they really going to be a good mesh for this organization?
1: So I will say the the beginning is I am a terrible interviewer. I am. That's like that is not everyone's really-
0: a great interviewer. Yeah, you know, you could build it, though.
1: So And I and I drive I true and I've been working on it, but I drive people nuts with it. And I, this feedback came to me recently. So it's fun because apparently people don't even know like what just happened when they interview with me. Cause I generally just talk like this and go, yeah, okay. Like I try to scare the shit out of people not to not work for me. I, I want to, I want people to come in and know every scary skeleton, everything that's about to happen. I don't try to sell people into working for me. I'm like, no, 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 This is gonna be super hard. And these are all the problems. And this like my partner and I align on that. Like we want to make sure that there's no, like no one comes in and goes, Oh my God, this is a shit show. And we've had that. We've had people, we've hired, you know, we hired a would be this is an example this didn't actually happen but if i hired a general counsel right now and they came in and went whoa your legal side of the business is a mess it's like the line we use regularly is yeah we hired an exterminator and you're surprised there's bugs like (laughs) what are we doing here so when it comes to interviewing um honestly for me i just more want to know you know i ask a lot of like just tactical questions of like if they're interviewing with me i'm probably working with them directly because i don't interview (laughs) everyone at hawk So it's, you know, uh, they're our head of marketing position. I want to know how they're going to think through problems, how they're going to compliment me, how they're going to build this out. And then um, also, are they, yeah, again, are they ready to commit? Are they excited about it? Like, that's what I'm interviewing for. I honestly have the compliment of my partner to really interview for the tactical side on those jobs. And then, frankly, throughout our organization, we have very, you know, process-driven hiring processes in terms of testing them on aptitude, testing them on culture fit, like we have a pretty good system around hiring because we hire a lot. We had 20 people last month.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. And then let's bring us to the conversation of COVID. And we're, we're recording this interview uh, mid-October. I think this yep. show will come out uh, sometime November or December. But let's talk about the COVID pivot here. And let's talk about it first from a business perspective. You know, how has it affected your day-to-day business?
1: Yeah, it's uh Funny enough, the only, for me personally, I was on the road half the time, that's done. So half my normal existence was transformed into staying home, which is unusual, but that had honestly not that big of a shift, a big shift from like my lifestyle, but I'm fine with it. So that was like, great, now I'm home. I get to see my wife more, fine. Um, For the company, I think the only shift is that they're not all together. So like it's harder to build that camaraderie and that family and team feel, but, For our clients, they were all—they were never in the office, so it's like we were working on Zoom and Slack and
0: didn't affect that
1: already. Yeah, so operationally, it was not that big a deal. It's more culturally, we're still working through how to bring people together. Is probably the biggest shift, but.
0: I mean, the culture is interesting, too, because you have folks that have been there for a while, right? So you're able to have the continuity there. And as you mentioned, you know, earlier that, you know, you're you're still trying to figure it out. I think you said 84% of, of the company said that they 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 do not wish to return um, you know, to the physical office. But you're going to figure it out. Maybe it's meetups here and there, too. But are you going concerned start that a, instead
1: of a 27,000 square foot office that we have in LA? Let's get rid of it buy a 5,000 square foot house on the beach, which is still way cheaper and have a six for the team to use whenever they want. Like there's things like that that could create really good perks. That's shifting. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, that but how, but how do
0: you keep, but how do you keep that day-to-day energy, the culture, like that spirit, that vibe, that energy? Listen, there's only so much shit that we could do over Slack. There's so many freaking yeah. zoom happy hours that we could do. You know, how do you keep, Otherwise you're just, you know, yeah. uh, an agency, you're, you're, you're delivering your product, exactly. but your product is your people there. And if the people aren't engaged and happy and into it and waving your fricking banner around, you know, are you concerned about this?
1: Absolutely concerned. And it definitely, like you just nailed it, it becomes transactional. What's the difference between working for me and any other agency, if they're just running Facebook ads all day and there's no culture. Exactly. So that's exactly when we're working on it. I mean, there's a lot of things we do. We try to meet, help people meet up. And I, I think there's an important distinction between remote and COVID. Remote, you can figure out. We can get people together. Like without an office, I can afford to fly people around the country. Like I can make it really fun and let people, like mm. our plan is to have clubhouses in a bunch of different cities around the country and let people go work wherever the hell they want and all meet up. Yeah, like, the office, like, like, like your own,
0: like, like kind of little WeWork, but like just yeah, for you guys.
1: Exactly. Yeah something like that. And yeah, someone's. I, I think I said Soho house and then everyone thought we bought Soho house. So I, I was literally interested. was right
0: about to say it. And I'm like, I, yeah. I think he's more of like a, I don't know what no, kind it of vibe. Is,
1: it more about. Soho house than we work. I'm thinking couches and a nice bar versus desks and cubicles. Yeah. Um, like
0: a, have a DJ maybe on Friday afternoon or something. We, we could work it out. Exactly. We could, we could, we have the technology. We can make yeah.
1: it. And we've got our space in New York already. We just got to get a new space in LA. Um, but yeah, so that's, that part we can work out, but when we can't have anyone together and everyone's being super, and we as a company, because of California, are super liable about doing anything. Mm-hmm. We'd I'd love to be able to optionally get people together right now. And a lot of them want to get together, but I can't have anything to do with it. And that's the issue of you know, liability there. So I'm hoping once COVID becomes less of a thing, that's easy. During COVID, we're all on the level playing field. So I'm not, other agencies aren't doing it that much better. And I'd say a lot of agencies are overspending right now to complement yeah. Compensate for it, which is going to bite them in the ass, as we all know. So they're, you know, people are throwing money at it, which doesn't do it. So we're spending. We hired a whole new uh, support system and HR team around this, and we're we're building out a lot of different ideas to uh, a lot of different ideas to um, how do I put it? Like to just bring those people together. Like we've talked about, like. Uh, you know, stupid stuff. Like no one wants another Zoom happy hour. We tried that in the beginning, but we had a event. Well, you're still right drinking now.
0: alone. Ultimately you're still drinking alone by yourself in front right. of your computer, which is right. weird.
1: Which I believe makes you an alcoholic, but. um, Right. I mean, when you
0: drink alone. Yeah.
1: Yeah. drink alone with a blue light staring at your computer. Like, yeah. Um, but it, it really comes down to what can we do to really engage people? And so like, we're trying to like bring people in on more like activities within Hawk. So like, as I mentioned, the launch of the podcast, having our people submit questions, get feedback, talk about it. We're, you know, working on all sorts of different ways to like engage them in all the th- cool things that we're doing. We have our venture fund and helping them, having them come in to help us look at deals, you know, and then frankly, I think a lot of it is just visibility with leadership is important. And I do, I can do a better job of that where it's like talking to our, you know, people being, you know, presenting to our people, that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. And you're also more accessible too. That's one of the advantages you know? now. Without I traveling, am. without
1: I will say, as accessible as I am, I've learned as a leader, they're not going to come to me. I've got to go to them. No one's going to out of the blue go, "I need to go talk to the CEO. I want to meet them." Like it's, people do, but it's rare. Right. So. It's got. It's got. It's
0: got to make sense there too. Something I want to kind of go back to when we talk about you know leadership, you know, throughout your your professional career. Um, something that I that I kind of embrace in only my three or four yearship of entrepreneurship journey is to not have a plan B. I mean, I believe that once you have a plan B, that you're already kind of admitting failure. What are your thoughts on having a backup plan?
1: Oh, I think I don't think you're admitting failure. I think uh, having contingency plans is what would have saved me a lot of stress the first week of COVID. Um, I think knowing what you know what that looks like, so that if it happens, you're ready for it, is a pragmatic approach. That doesn't mean bank on it. That doesn't mean aim for it. That means that you know, there are sometimes things out of your control, like a na- uh, pandemic and being ready for that. And now we have it. And a lot of companies have those contingency plans just in case shouldn't be communicated across the company to make sure everyone's ready for that. I think that's the wrong message As you just kind of voted to. But I think there should be key stakeholders that know if this happens, here's what we do. Similar to knowing, like, you know, if there's a fire and an earthquake, what the plan is. It's like, have that plan. That doesn't mean that's all just wait for the earthquake.
0: Right. I mean, I'm not so much referring to a contingency side. I'm thinking more like, hey, listen, I'm going all in. Like for me, when I pivot into my business, I'm saying I am going all in. I'm going to do everything it takes to make this business work. And I didn't want to have a contingency plan because for me, that was almost admitting like I'm kind of setting myself up to fail.
1: Well, so I guess it's not contingency in that sense. But like, for example, let's say your goal is to do, I don't know, $5 million in revenue this year. So if you do five million, what does that look like? If you do ten, what does that look like? If you do two, what does that look like? If you don't do any, if nobody hires you, what does that look like? What's your next plan? Right. That's what I mean by contingency. I don't mean an alternative. I just mean a, being a yeah, being prepared. Exactly. Yeah, like a, a
0: pragmatic outlook on the different um, outcomes of that business. One, and I
1: think- to be clear, I never had that. So when COVID hit, that's what I scrambled to create in the first week because I had no idea where this was going. So it's like no I idea. Was, but that forced me to be like okay if our revenue drops 80 60 20 40% whatever it is what do we have to do what does that look like for the business and that's what we ran through so then it, it allowed me to free up to actually just march and try to not hit any of those situations because i knew what the plan was and i just i you know i got to table it because like we're not there yet now we can watch and whenever it happens we know what the plan is so i can okay. focus on growing and so that was the part that was a lot of people got paralyzed because they had no idea what to do and you see some businesses skyrocketed in this and some got crushed. And I'm not just talking about like digital businesses. I have a friend that owns a chain of gyms that skyrocketed because he stuck with it and figured it out versus a lot of gyms that just closed down. Snack Nation talked to the owner of that uh, two weeks ago. They maintained their revenue this year, pivoting completely out of office snacks. So like if you're able to figure out that contingency plan, that's, the, that's being an entrepreneur. You're going to deal with oh, absolutely pandemic or whatever, there's a ton of things that are going to hit you and your ability to pivot and adapt to that is super important. That's what I mean by that.
0: Oh, right. of,
1: well, we're going to, you know, throwing your arms up, I don't think that making that an option is the problem, which I think is what you're saying.
0: Yeah, definitely spot on there. And, you know, from, from doing my, my research and from our, our, you know, 30 minutes and 58 seconds of talking right now, there's a theme that comes across and it comes through clear, man, it's tenacity. And that's a word I talk about on the show. That's a pillar, you know, of the, of the podcast. When I say that word tenacity, Right. What, what what does that mean to you?
1: Uh, just to relentlessly stick with it. That's 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 what that means to me. Is you know, again, we talked about this a few times, but the you're going to get hit with shit, and tenacity to me means just you keep going.
0: I love it, man. And you know, the, 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 the bring it home questions as I like to call them here for me, this is my master class, right? This is my MBA. You know, I learned through osmosis. This is the way I do it, man. And I ask every guest on this show, this question, Eric, what is the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on every single day?
1: Uh, swing the bat, just go for it. Every single day we're trying something new. We're just going for it. Like you, the things that we've accomplished just because I'm like, well, Shit, let's try it. Why, what what happens? We we either end up where we are right now, or we accomplish it. Let's try it. So swinging the bat, we just go for it. Was always the biggest thing.
0: That's that's fantastic. I certainly believe in that. And what would you say to date is your greatest professional accomplishment? If you had to put one, and not that trophy you just showed me, but like you know, Imagine. what would you say? What are you proud? of? What are you proud of, man? From a business sense.
1: Honestly, it's just it, it, it is coming through COVID. It's not laying anyone off in COVID. Keeping our people together, employing everyone. Like we, you know, we we pay pretty well and we pay, we have 160 plus employees. Like those are all people that are paying their livelihood in yeah. the capitalist world. That is the accomplishment. Like to be able to create something that makes money for our clients, that we make money for ourselves, that we make money for our people, that we're able to create something that's fun and, you know, is enjoy, I enjoy doing or people enjoy doing and actually can create so many jobs. Like that's the part that almost is surreal to me that like I started something seven years ago that, this many people like literally pay their bills off this. Like that's.
0: And kudos, kudos to you on that, man. That's, that's awesome. And I'd love to end every show, you know, when talk. I want to leave on a good note, right. I want to leave on yeah. positivity here. And so many of us have experienced, you know, some real bad shit and, you know, we're, we're doing everything we can to help everybody. And I'm confident that we're going to get through this. But on the other side of it too, there's been a lot of silver linings. there has been a lot of good shit happening to a lot of people there. And I love it, Eric, if you could share a personal silver lining and a professional silver lining.
1: Yep. Uh, personal silver lining is, uh, I've, I got in better shape than I'd ever have been. I I worked out 80 days in a row burning over my Calories. So I was like, we're going for it. I then broke my leg and had to take a quick pause, but it's already healed.
0: You can do upper body. Come on, man. That's soft.
1: Yeah. (laughs) No, and by the way, I did, uh, I I stuck with it. So, and now we're back at it out of the cast and, you know, ran for the second time again last night. So we're going, uh, so, and then. I'd say professionally, again, it was so this is actually a little bit of a fun side note, but my partner and I, business partner, we we had all that feedback from quote unquote advisors and stuff, always telling us, you know, hey, you can't have a month to month agency. You'll never survive. You can't do this. You can't do that. And we believed we'll be fine. Then they're like, marketing is the first thing to get cut in a recession. You're fucked then because that, you know, your month to month, they're just going to fire you. I'm like, I don't quite agree because Nobody's just going to cut off all their marketing like the way we are is flexible. I think there's actually opportunity for us in a recession because we're a alternative to the big guys. I think we'll lose some gain some others recession isn't like keeping me up at night and we would laugh like the only thing that's going to crush our business is if like the whole fucking world freezes like, you know, there's a war or something and everyone just stops doing business
0: apocalypse and right.
1: then March happened so <laughs> that we would literally laugh like like that's going to happen and then it literally happened and we made it through. So for the silver lining, it's actually given me more confidence in my business than by far I could ever have, because I am a realist in a lot of ways, too, as much as I'm an optimist. And I'm like, listen, like there's thing, there were holes, chinks in our armor that could destroy us, including the whole world shutting down because everyone can just fire their marketing firm. Right. I've now seen what that looks like. And I've never been more bullish and, you know, excited to be running. Oh, yeah, company. man. So I love it. That's
0: awesome, man. And last but not least, Eric, listen, you've been through it. You're, you've had your successes. You've had your failures. And when you think about those downtimes, when you think you're at your lowest there and you had to pull yourself up and reach down deep inside and really harness that inner tenacity to pull you up. And then on the flip side of that, when you want to show gratitude, when you're just grateful for everything that you created, everything that you have in your life on the personal side and the professional side, Eric Kuberman, what is your North Star?
1: What is my North Star?
0: What is hey, your compass? Do I- what guides you?
1: Oh, uh, a thirst to experience all of life. Like that is really true. Like I, like I'm the guy that I want to try everything. I want to do everything. I want to really experience everything life has to offer personally, professionally. And so whether it's travel, whether it's new hobbies, whether it's new things in business, that is what excites me and drives me, which is a great, I have a great COO that allows to like kind of pick up the slack when I'm on to the next thing and building the next thing. But you know, that combination so that I can go continue to learn and try new things. That is the big driving factor for me.
0: I love it, man. Eric, thank you for spending some time with us today. I appreciate it. Where could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? Yeah. Any social media platform, adder slash Eric Huberman. Pretty easy. Easy guy to find. Eric, thank you, sir. Thank you. Awesome. And everyone joining us today, thank you for spending some time with us on the podcast. You know where to find us at www.thepodcast.com. If you like this show, please leave a comment or rating. It helps fuel the fire. Share it. Spread the word of the podcast. Remember, Take care of each other. Wash your hands. Stay six feet apart and catch us next week for another great episode of The Podcast. Take care, everybody. To join
1: the conversation, search
0: The PauseCast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.